Tonight's reading is from the book of John. Sometimes I'm very inconsistent with this, so how about you all stand for the reading of the gospel tonight? Uh, John 13, we're going to go through 1 through 17, and then we're going to skip to 34 and 35. This is when Jesus washes the disciples' feet. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said, Lord, not, only, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That is why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So this is Monday Thursday. Another Latin thing that gets messed up in English. So it's mandatum, the commandment. This is the great commandment that Jesus gives his disciples. And what's the command he gives them? He gives them the commandment to love one another. And this service that starts tonight, well, really, it starts at sundown on Thursday, right? That's they, they, the Jewish world, that's when they started the day. At 746 tonight, that is sundown. So at 7.46 is when this begins. This is really the beginning of Good Friday. And by the next night, Jesus will have been already killed. On this night, he's going to, be, he's going to go to the garden. He institutes the Lord's Supper. He gets betrayed. He gets arrested. He gets beaten. And then that's Good Friday. There is so much packed into these hours, and there's so much even in this little bit of scripture to talk about. So what is that mandate that God has given through Jesus? He says, a new commandment I give you, 
that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my, my disciples if you have love for one another. So what kind of love is Jesus talking about here? Yes, it's the agape kind. I looked the Greek. Yep, they're all agape, agape, agape. And I know I've harped on this before, but what does that love look like? How does God love us, godly love? It's not haphazard. It's on purpose. It's intentional. And it's for the benefit of the other person. So he's commanding his disciples to say, hey, I've loved you this way. Now you do the same. And by doing so, people will know you're associated with me, that you are my followers. This is what true love is. Now, anybody goes to weddings, <laughs> what do we always go to in at weddings? 1 Corinthians 13. You're like, that doesn't seem like a Monday, Thursday uh, text, but yes, it is, because we're talking about true love. Love is patient and kind, does not envy or boast, it is not arrogant or rude, it does not insist on its own way, it is not irritable or resentful, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That is true love. Now Peter, in typical Peter fashion, <laughs> says something to Jesus that he doesn't like. And what does Jesus respond? I mean, Peter says, uh, Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if you do not wash, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. This seems very eerily familiar. He says, hey, you're the son of God. And then he, the next minute he's getting told, get behind me, Satan. Jesus isn't afraid to tell him the truth. <laughs> he doesn't shy away from saying to Peter, that if you say, my way is not the way, this is going to go very poorly for you. He does not, well, he does not lie to Peter. Why? Well, number one, he's God and he can't lie. Number two, he loves Peter and he tells him the truth. This is why truth and love go together. So discipling, I'm sorry, discipline is loving. Yeah. I was uh, reminded of, as a dad, that I discipline my children. I used to do that a lot more. Now they seem to, I guess they, you know, I'm a, I've taken lots of child psychology classes. By age five, they say about 90% of your moral development is done. So all you with little ones, no pressure. Um, but discipline is a good thing. In fact, we shouldn't, if someone's been disciplined in a loving way, they don't turn around later and say, why did you do that for me? Or why did you do that to me? No, they're appreciative of it. And in Hebrews 12, three through six, it, it talks to this, to this uh, particular thing. Consider him who endured for sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary of, or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet Red, uh, resisted to the point of shedding your blood? And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. We are his disciples. 
we are disciplined by him. I was at uh, the eulogy before Phil Mathis's funeral, and uh, his son John did a wonderful job. And one thing, he, it just reminded me exactly of this. He says, if discipline is love, then, God, then uh, Phil loved me a little more than the rest of you. So to not discipline is not love. This seems very natural to us. But when we're being disciplined or being told hard truths, at that moment, it's not very fun. Going through those things refine you, they direct you, and they put you on the right path. It's still not fun. Many, too, many times I am silent. Yeah, I know you can't believe that because I petrocked every one of you. <laughs> I'm doing it right now. So, but I, like, it happened today. I was silent and, and, and there was a true thing I really wanted to say to them. But it would have been completely inappropriate for me to say it to them. And you know what I'm talking about? This commandment is for who? The followers of Christ and how they're supposed to interact with who? The other followers of Christ. When you and I talk about things, about how we should, I don't know, believe or act or live out the faith, we have a common thing called the word of God that is our rule and norm. And that's a great thing. It's our boundary. It, disciplines us on how we're supposed to live. But if you don't have that, what's your boundary? There are none. Whatever you think is fine. So, many times I want to tell people who are without boundary what to do. And that would be weird. I would be talking right past them. I, have, I mean, we talk to each other and we talk past each other in the church. Can you imagine now we're going to say, oh yeah, these are all these true things about you and God and this is what this means. For the unbeliever, this is totally foreign to them. But many times my silence is deafening. My silence is deafening sometimes. And I always ask myself, am I worried about offending them Yes. Am I worried about me having a hurt reputation? Yes. Do I love them more than me or do I love me more than them? Usually it's me more than them. Because I'm worried about me and the reaction I'm going to get. But this is why this has to be done all in love. If you come to somebody in an unloving way and discipline them, that's wrong. Same thing with your children. If you discipline your children in anger, nope, you do it out of love. This is what God does for you. He does it out of love, which then we too should be motivated by love. So in Ephesians 4, 15, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. 
So I'm looking at this body out here, and I'm thinking about, well, how do you all interact with each other? When Jesus washes the disciples' feet, do we do that here? Not since I've been here. (laughs) It's not really a thing anymore. I don't wear sandals, and I'm out walking down dusty roads either, so it's kind of not necessary. But he's showing the model of service. I see a congregation that serves one another, that is patient with one another, that is forgiving of one another, that loves one another. The opposite of loving would be to lie, which is why confession absolution is a really cool thing we do here, because you just get to be honest. Many times people don't like the words in the Bible. You notice this? There's words I don't like either, and it bothers me. I wrestle with them. It hurts. I don't like the way God does things sometimes. So a tendency would be to replace God's truth with my own lie. That's a natural tendency that we all want to do. But if we replace truth with lies, how many of you have had to do this in your own life? You kind of lie to yourself a little bit, or something gets said, or something's in the culture, and you're like, oh, that's probably the way it is. And you just incrementally move a little way from the truth, and you embrace a little bit more of a lie. They say this is how people end up not even being who they were. They become unrecognizable. This is why it's so important that you stay grounded in the truth. And this is why you're part of a community that reminds you of the truth, that will discipline each other as disciples to say, no, 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 don't do that, (laughs) do this. Why? God said so. The more you lie to yourself, a little bit of you dies each time that happens. Our current culture says you are the one who gets to determine what's true. Right? That sounds great to me. I'm like, yeah, I'm in charge. I am essentially God. I determine what's right and wrong, what I'm going to do with my life, and anything that I think is true. Now, you and I are all part of the body of believers, and we believe in an absolute truth of Jesus Christ in his word. We say the creeds. We have the confessions. We have this thing outside of ourselves, and the Bible speaks to us. But if I'm the arbiter of truth, then I get to tell that stuff what's right and wrong. It doesn't work. It always goes sideways. Be honest. Loving is being in the truth. So what are some of the true things we talk about here? Well, we had one last Sunday. Baptismal font was there. (laughs) It's true that you are given the gift of salvation. You are marked for eternity. You're brought into God's family in baptism. That you die with Christ and you are raised with him. That you are forever viewed by God as perfect, righteous, and holy. Not by what you have done, but what Christ has done for you. And the faith that you receive, the Holy Spirit that lives inside you. These are true things. And they're true 
you didn't come up with any of those ideas. I didn't either, because God said so. It's true. How about the supper tonight? Is that the body and blood of Christ? Yes, why? Because God said so. Does it convey the forgiveness of sins? Yes, because God said so. John is the only gospel that does not mention this. So I thought I'd better bring that in. So I'm going to Matthew when Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper. Notice the slight variation. When we do our words of institution, it's a combination of the gospels and Corinthians and a mishmash of all those. But just listen to Matthew's words here. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and he gave his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. So we get to rejoice in the truth. This is what love is. We get to rejoice in the truth. We rejoice in the truth of baptism. We rejoice in the truth of the Lord's Supper. We rejoice in the truth of God's word. We rejoice in the truth of the gospel. It is good news. This is almost the beginning of Good Friday. These are all good, true things for you. Nearly 2,000 years ago, at almost this time, at night, the dusk, Jesus does this thing. He does this thing where he goes and he bears his soul out to his father, saying, please take this cup from me. Not my will, your will, Lord. Living in the truth is really being alive. Because if you're living in a lie, you're kind of dead. The world lies to you all the time. My flesh lies to me all the time. The evil one definitely lies to me. We are combating that constantly, which is why it's so good that you come here and you hear the truth. You received the truth, and you exhibit the truth by loving each other. And this community of believers, as we prepare for the cross to watch Jesus give up his very own life for you and for me, and it is so true when he says, it is finished. His resurrection is true. That his resurrection will be your resurrection, that is true. He has ascended into heaven, that is true. And he is seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding on your behalf right now. These are wonderful, true things, all motivated out of love. So tonight we're going to strip the altar. We're going to depart in silence. And we'll have some time to think. And maybe I'll stop talking. And think about all the true things that you get to hear from God. You're going to have those lies. You're going to walk out that door. <laughs> Something's going to hit you. 
Here's the great way to approach lies. You call them out. You say, that's a lie. And you can't just say, I'm just not going to do that thing or think about that or believe that. You must replace lies with truth. This is why it's so good to have God's word in the tip of your tongue. To know how to respond with truth when you hear a lie. So tonight when we leave, just dwell on the true things. The true things that God has done for you through his son Jesus, that he continues to do through you until he returns on that last day and he gets to eat that feast with us anew. Amen?